Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the House of Pod, a show where we pull back the curtain on the world of medicine, we answer questions about your health, and we interview great guests. I'm Joe, and I'm not a doctor. And I'm Lizzie. And I'm Kaveh. And we're two gastroenterologists. What's a gastroenterologist? You know, the doctors who work with your digestive system. Say what? You know, your liver, your pancreas, your intestines. What now? Your butt, Joe. It's your butt. Oh. And I'm Take a breath. Breathe. 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 You got it. I could do this more, but I'm showing you. Pod. I feel like I feel like we just ate up our entire Zoom meeting time with that <laughs> intro. <laughs> it felt like 40 minutes. For the listener, we have had to shift our natural recording process, as you've probably noted, and now we use Zoom, but we're too cheap to buy the real Zoom, so we're still <laughs> doing like the 40-minute free Zoom, so we have to be mindful of our minutes. You might also notice that's why our episodes are shorter in general. Hi, everyone. Hi, Lizzie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay, um, but this is I'm excited. I don't know if you can tell in my voice, but I'm just happy that you're back because you are I'm now back. back in San Francisco. Back from New York. You went to New York. You volunteered um, at the hospital you trained at. Can you say which one? I'm going to. Uh, Bellevue do. Hospital. Yeah. Nobody's. Uh, that's an interesting question. I've not been told not to do that. So I don't, see any uh, reason, I don't see any reason why not to, but I thought I'd yeah. leave it to you. So anyways, you're back. I'm yeah. really glad to, uh, to talk to you. We have a lot to talk about. And I mean, this is uh, one of those super open-ended questions that you will not be able to answer, but I'm going to ask anyways. How was yeah. it? <laughs> it was great. No, um, it was very rewarding. I'm very happy I went. Like, you know, I don't know 
how much medical care or anything that I provided as a GI doctor. Um, but I think just going there and like bearing witness to what was happening and providing a boost of like energy and silliness um, was so important. You know, people have been there for weeks and weeks and are going to be there for weeks and weeks taking care of these patients. We're like, thank you so much for coming. And like, they're so sweet because they're getting their asses handed to them, you know, and they don't see necessarily an end in sight. Even if it's peaked, it's still going on, you know? Yeah. And they were just so appreciative that, that they didn't, they didn't feel alone in the fight, you know? And, um, I don't know. I, there was just so much gratitude. It was, um, really heartwarming. And, you know, what was also super cool was that all the teams of doctors, like I was on a medicine team of doctors in like this weird kind of ICU team. And my colleagues, my peers, who are probably, by the way, 10 to like 20 years younger than me, one was like an OB-GYN attending, obstetrician attending, one was a pediatrician, and one was like an anesthesiologist. I mean, it was just this weird, crazy potpourri of people who were volunteering and also training there. So sort of voluntold maybe to do it is what somebody mm -hmm. told me. But um, so it was just a really kind of interesting, dynamic, diverse, really energetic group of people that I worked with. So it was pretty inspiring given what was going on there. Let me ask a another sort of basic question. Yeah. Is it as bad as we thought it would be, or is it as bad as the stories you've heard? Uh, everyone had PPE. Everyone had enough protection, I think. I mean, this still, it, we were still using the same masks every day, but in this time, that is enough, right? Right, but, but, to be, um, but to be clear, back, you know, ideally, that's not how we were ever trained to use the stuff. No. It was not no. meant to be like reuse again. I mean, if you were to go back like a couple months ago, what was considered <laughs> like taboo is now totally normal procedure. Right. No, Tyler asked me like, Oh, how much your, your boyfriend, my boyfriend, um, about the N95 masks. I was like, Oh, you know, I think we're going to, after four days, they say you can use a contaminated one again. And you know, we only use, have used them for tuberculosis in the past. And he said, well, how long did tuberculosis stay on the mask that you could reuse it? I, I said, I have no idea because I've never reused a mask before, yeah. you know, like it's a question that we've not been posed, but given what's happening with PPE conservation and stewardship, um, you know, being responsible with this equipment, it felt like we did have enough, but it is as crazy as they say, you know, the ICU, the entire 10th floor of Bellevue hospital, one of the oldest, biggest city hospitals in the country was filled every bed. And you, you kind of forgot, that they had COVID because every single person had COVID, COVID related complications. So, and that's, you know, you, and in medicine, we always say this is a 82 year old guy with a history of hypertension, diabetes, blah, 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 you know, and we would almost forget to say the COVID part because every single person had COVID. It was just a given, you know, yeah. Yeah. and there were two patients per room. Like that doesn't happen in ICUs, you know, in these right. little rooms. Um, wow, so it, it really, it's exactly what you're seeing on social media if you're following, you know, legitimate news resources. Well, well, that's what I was going to say, actually, because I still think people don't know. And I'll tell you, I've been slamming my head into brick walls recently online trying to convince people who really doubt this. And I can't believe it. Yeah. Oh, no, it's a real thing. I didn't believe it either. But it's like not yeah. it's not it's a real thing. People really don't believe it's happening and believe there's some sort of conspiracy 
of some sort. What purpose? Yeah. I don't entirely understand. I don't know. New World Order, some weird some, something or other. But like, no you know, we have these laws, these HIPAA laws that keep us from like filming patients and showing patients. But there's a part of me that's just like, I think we need to. I think we need to take a film crew into an ICU and let people see what is happening. Let them yeah. go into an ER that's busy in New York. Let them see what that's like. You know, I, yeah. I don't under, I think that might, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. People who don't believe at I this point, they probably just won't believe it. But I feel like that would be needed at this point. I mean, I have no, whatever. I have no reason to lie. You know what I mean? Like, I know you trust me, but what, I just oh, no, don't no, no, no. see I, don't, why. I, I trust you with this. Let's not make it a universal oh. trust statement. You trust me with the podcast. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> trust your word on this. Right. It's just, um, it really, every one to two hours during the first couple days there, every couple hours there was an overhead um, page for what we call a rapid response, which means somebody's not doing well, or a code, which means somebody needs chest compressions or an airway, which means an intubation. I, every two hours, probably I, every one hour. I know this is true because I called you like every other hour to check in <laughs> and see how you're doing. And every, it's in the background the whole time in every phone call. There's, a, there's people running, there's, there's, a, there's a code being called in the background. It's crazy. Yeah. I fortunately was not on the code team, but can you imagine like somebody has COVID and you're doing chest compressions, how much like sputum and spit comes out during those procedures? You know, it's, it's so high risk and people are yeah. doing that and they're not pausing. I mean, they're pausing to put gear on their PPE, but they're not really, they're not second guessing it, you know? And I overheard an intern in the room where we were doing all our work, I didn't know. And she just said out loud, you know, I'm not scared anymore. You know, like it's just... It's just the norm now, you know? Yeah. And what do you think that's, how are, how are the people they're doing? Are they really not scared? Are they, I imagine they must be freaking exhausted. I think there's just that first barrier, like before you, cause I had never donned and doffed, you know, I've seen videos, I've read, we've gotten tons of emails about preparing for the surge, but I hadn't done it because I think honestly doing it would require PPE, <laughs> wasting it, you know? But, um, I think it's that first hurdle, that first barrier to starting to put the gear on and seeing a patient and realizing it's still just medicine and day-to-day -day work as usual. People still need your care, need your attention. And there's no family around, like, but, uh, you know, to talk to, to navigate this whole thing. So it's just you and this patient who often is not awake and alert and talking to you. But I did see an intern who hadn't seen a COVID patient yet, and he seemed terrified, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's just putting the gear on and going and see patients. And I think once you start doing that, it's your normal. But before you do that, it's the anticipation and that fear that if you haven't done something, anything, your first time you swim, the first time you ski, the first time you do it, anything, it's just terrifying. And then you do it and you survive, you know? Right. So, you know, I, the toll this is going to take on the American healthcare providers is going to be yeah. immense. It cannot be overstated. And, and particularly, obviously, in the hotspots, but, but even outside of the hotspots, places that are, are feeling, every doctor is feeling the stress one way or another. Um, but those hotspots, obviously, are going to be hit the hardest. We have to figure out something to do now. And I don't know what, I honestly don't, to help prepare for that. Because we are going to have burnout like we never had before on top of what was probably, probably already existing moral injury in a lot of doctors. I mean, I don't know what we're going to do, but it's going to be bad. I mean, I, I could see a lot of doctors in like a year from now just being like, 
fuck it, I'm out, I'm done. And they just, they wipe yeah. their hands with the whole thing and they, they walk away. Maybe, maybe this will get us to, I mean, the right people in medicine. Maybe people who are still trying to get into medicine right now are doing it for the right reasons. They see the worst case scenario and they still want to do it. And that might be a good thing, but I, right. I am worried what's going to happen to these providers. Yeah. I think that uh, they're really, there's so much death, <laughs> you know, there's so much death happening right now in all the city, all the New York city hospitals. And, you know, now I think in um, New Orleans and I think I read Detroit, there's just, there's, it's every couple hours um, for, for sure. And again, maybe it's um, waning now, but, and so you say that there's already moral injury and, you know, a lot of the doctors who are dealing with this now, like you're saying, haven't processed it. Like, you know, usually when some a patient is intubated and sedated, you might not connect with them, but at least you can talk the family through the dying process. And now they can't come visit. You know, you have to do it on the phone or there's a lot of FaceTime going on. It's I really walked around the, the Bellevue and I would see people FaceTiming with these iPads at the patient's room. And I'd be wondering, isn't that a HIPAA violation? And then I realized it was the social workers going to the bedside once, one or two times a day so the family could FaceTime. It was exceptional, yeah. like how much extra care yeah. there was. So I think the whole processing of all this death and all this like really just sadness, you know, I don't think it's happened yet. So I do think what the worst is, unfortunately for the doctors and the healthcare system is, is ahead still of us, come. you know? Yeah. And then yeah. I think people are still going to be terrified to see their doctors and to come into public places and hospitals for months to come. And yeah. it's... um it's going to be hard to it's readjust. Going to a, it's going to be a weird, long slog, huh? But the positive part is it's really inspiring to see these people do this work. Yeah. Um, and to f have the energy and to have the compassion and the yeah. patience to deal with this stuff. Um, people really are working together. There was all these volunteers there. It was really uplifting. And, you know, I went in for five days and, you know, everyone's so appreciative. And then there's people who've been there for weeks and will be there for weeks. And, you know, they just, they need that, attention they need yeah. like credit and um gratitude and i hope they're getting it you know i i they tell better. the people i my friends who i talk to i definitely send yeah. them nice messages well this is a good time hard. for us to do it i mean i not you brought up a great point with the social workers i mean those social workers respiratory therapists as we talked on the last episode you know yeah mailmen who are out on the street delivery guys people who are still working through this thing and particularly yeah. people who are like you have volunteered in hotspots to run into the face of danger. I mean, I, I got a lot of respect for, I, I'm really proud of you for doing what you did. I, you know, you. I, I didn't want you to do it, but uh, you know, I'm really glad that you're back, but I'm really proud of you for doing it. And um, I'm glad that it, it worked out. Okay. And I'm glad you did it. Um, any, anyone in particular you want to give a shout out to? Honestly, there were plastic surgeons in there doing like medicine work. I was just floored. Those guys, I'm like, this isn't where you should be. But the social work at Bellevue, the social workers and the palliative care team would come and seek us out again once or twice a day and like would really offer, do you want us to call any families? We have more time than you. Like, and it was just, it was outstanding. Like it was really, yeah. you know, things sometimes at Bellevue City County hospitals, maybe VAs move a little bit slower than other hospitals, but um the and there were some systems issues that were slow but like the people were just so invested and it was just that was it that, yeah. there was that was the shout outs um i really worked with some great residents too um and i can send send them this episode priya and owen and alex and nicole some good people so 
Good job, guys. Good job. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, so stay tuned. We have uh, one of my favorite comedians coming on next. His name is Johnny Taylor. He's great. Uh, we'll, we'll have links to his comedy to check out. You really should, particularly now more than ever, you need to have some comedy and this is a great way to do it. And we'll talk about ways to, to see comedy uh, and still get your entertainment, even in a time of COVID. Um, follow us if you're not already doing so on Twitter at the house of pod. We're also on Instagram at the house of pod. We have a Facebook page as well. If you're on any of those sites, follow us at them. Uh, email us if you have questions or comments, or if you want to say we messed up on something uh, at, uh, H O P questions, H O P questions at gmail.com. Um, and, uh, if you haven't already, uh, you know, tell your friends about us. This is a good way to, uh, get the word out. We don't, uh, take any corporate sponsorship or anything like that. Um, so if you have any friends that might be into podcasts, let them know about us. Take a break from COVID. Listen to the house of pod. That's a commercial. Yeah. Not always COVID. <laughs> Stay tuned. On today's show, we have Johnny Taylor. He is a comedian that has shared the stage with some of the biggest names in comedy. Robin Williams, Brian Posehn, David Tell, you name it. He's toured across the country. You can usually find him in Northern California, but because of COVID, you're going to find him here on the internet with us. Uh, Johnny, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, man. It, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. I mean, we need... We need comedians more than ever. And I have to tell you, I'm going to say this straight up before I let Lizzie get to the first question. I have so much respect for comedians. And, and I'll tell you why. It's, it's a job that is so weird because if you're doing it well and you're really good at it, it looks like you're not doing much at all. <laughs> you know, if you're a really good comedian, then people look at you and be like, ah, I barely practices or whatever. I mean, he looks like so, doesn't look like he's trying at all. He just comes up there and talks. But I mean, we know it's more than that. That's, that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, I've been in a band for like most of my life. And when you play in a band and people don't like it, there are so many different reasons you can come up with. You could be like, oh, well, you know, the drummer sucked or they just weren't into our style of music or like the, the sound quality of that place blew, whatever. There's always like a million excuses you can come up with. There's so, it's such a safer way to perform but when you're a comedian, holy shit, it's just you. You're up there, you and a mic and the audience. It seems so much scarier to me. So I have so much more respect for comedians because of that. I, yeah. I agree with Kave. <laughs> We're both doctors, in case you didn't know. And I think being a comedian sounds much harder, much more terrifying because it is. <laughs> it does. I mean, think about it. You are up there alone on the stage. You're essentially like talking your whole life's like traumas out on stage. It's like the audience is your therapist and like you're put, it's so vulnerable and like you live and die by like laughter or, or not laughter or silence is even worse. It's, I, I could never do it. I, I totally am in awe of you guys. Right. I think it's, I think it's safe to say in the post COVID world, uh, comedians are the true heroes. Uh, <laughs> not, not, not you doctors that are taking care of everybody. Well, Yes. Along those lines, um, in this time of Corona, as everyone's saying now, or COVID-19, how, you know, I remember 9-11, it was so hard to know when to go back to being silly and funny and making jokes. You know, we remember those times. 
Um, and like, what is, what do you, what do you as a comedian think? What is the comedian community say? Like, when is it time to make jokes about this stuff or how do we kind of stay uplifted and, and, and positive during these times without humor? You know, it's so important. Right. I mean, obviously it's a huge bummer and the, uh, the news cycle is just a hundred percent sad. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think you can uh, look at the numbers as they rise in certain places and level off in other places. Uh, those are dead people, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's you're yeah. seeing a kind of life count of dead people. And uh, that is, uh, it's a bummer. And it almost feels weird to make jokes because, you know, you're making jokes about Tiger King or whatever else uh, is, you know, the thing that people are doing while they're stuck in their houses. Uh, mostly drink from uh, what 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 I'm reading on the internet, uh, and it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's fun to make memes and make jokes, but at the same time, it's like, man, people people are dying, you know, there's there's bodies piling up, and uh, so it is hard, you know, it's a delicate balance. Uh, but the thing is, is that uh, you know they say tragedy plus time equals comedy, and uh, I'm sure at some point down the line we're gonna be able to. Uh, kind of kind of laugh at the uh, maybe not the the crisis itself but some of the uh, the subplots that created I think that's the real challenge to you know oh yeah yeah, yeah. and there's going to be a lot of material you know from the people protesting out in the streets to what our president you know says on a daily basis in front of the nation right. there's going to be so much I mean I would say actually though even even sooner than than that, I feel like you're needed. Um, for one, because, you know, even as doctors and even, you know, people who deal with the stuff on a daily basis, we still need some refuge from that. I mean, we need something to, to entertain us. And, and more importantly than us, we need the masses to stay home and be entertained at home. That's like you, like anyone you have, we're going to talk about your records before we, we close. Um, particularly tangled and plaid, tangled up and plaid, which is I really like, and um, and those people have to have stuff to stay home and listen to. That is the most important thing that we could offer people right now out in the world. And so, right. I, what you're doing is, and what you've done is, I don't know, it is, it's pretty important. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think a lot of uh, you know creative types, whether it's comedy or music. Uh, we're you know we're stuck in our our houses and, and our rooms uh, in my case and it's one of those things where you're just uh trying to kick out content to try to keep people uh engaged with the uh the reality that we're all stuck in inside you know <clears throat> and i think it's you know it's one of those things where i mean you follow me on social media i you know i kick out 50 jokes a day mm -hmm. yeah and uh it, it's one of the you know it's just I'm just trying to at least make a ripple of fun in what is a really uh, awful situation. And yeah. I think and my friends are too, you know, I mean, all, everybody's trying their best to, to, to try to do the right thing for the most part. There's also fucking idiots. Can I swear? Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. You, you can fucking swear. We don't um, fucking like it, but you can fucking do it. Oh, um, it's a fucking uncalled for. It's a fucking uncalled for, Lizzie. Um, I was, you know, we sat on our show um, just recently, last week, Dr. Jesse Gold, who's a psychiatrist who is telling us all about, you know, being tuned in and dialed into all the corona stuff, but really needing um, 
some sort of relief from the day, from the news, from the tragedy, you know, and, right. and it is, you know, doctors are taking care of patients, but when doctors get home, they really do need comedy. It's like, you know, a great coping mechanism, a great defense mechanism to tune out a little bit. So it is a service, maybe, maybe not heroic, but super awesome. And part of like an important part of a, what's the routine these days. Oh. So yeah, humor is our favorite defense mechanism. And it's one that we use a lot. And that was one of the reasons we did the show was like, you know, as comedians, I'm sorry, as doctors, we oftentimes use a lot of sort of very dark humor to help us get through weird stuff. And it helps our day. And I don't think people quite recognize that, like that's how doctors actually speak. And we thought that was important for people to know that because, you know, we're humans and we do need the same sort of defense mechanisms that everyone else does. And humor is definitely our favorite. Um, let me ask you, you kind of have a little personal medical history as well. If you don't mind us going into, you've talked about it a little bit before. I don't, I think you're pretty open about it. Can you tell us about your uh, own uh, personal medical history? Uh, yeah. I, so I had surgery a few years back. Uh, I had perforated diverticulitis. Ever heard of it? Uh, yeah. Once or twice. Yeah. Uh, so I had, uh, I had surgery and uh, I had let myself, first off, I was misdiagnosed to begin with mm. a few months prior to that i uh they diagnosed me as having a bladder infection and so they oh. gave me these antibiotics and uh and you know a as a, a side note it helped clear a little bit of the infection from the diverticulitis yeah. so i felt a little bit better i felt a little relief uh but then it came back and i was just like oh this must just be that bladder infection again and so i'm drinking you know cranberry juice and stuff and <laughs> And then finally, like one night, I had just done a show and I got home and uh, I had a real bad fever and I was like dry heaving and uh, excruciating pain, obviously. And uh, told the girl I was dating at the time, I was like, I think I have to go to the hospital. I don't know what's going on. And so got in there, they gave me an MRI and uh, the doctor came in. He was like, well, I got good news and bad news. And uh, I was like, okay, well, give it to me. And he's like, uh, the good news is you don't have cancer. Uh, but the bad news is that we have to operate on you today or uh, this mm -hmm. is going to be a bad thing. So cut out some of my intestines and uh, luckily I didn't have a colostomy bag and uh, recovered in about two weeks. And I was headlining the Sacramento punchline in like two weeks. So. Wow. Strong See. work. See, that doctor has a good sense of humor. Like you could have been right. like, you don't have cancer, but you do have, you know, like you can say anything after that, really. Right. So for our, for our listeners, <laughs> diverticulitis is, um, I mean, Kaveh and I know we see it all the time. But if, if you don't know, um, there are these pockets in the colon that um, we call diverticulosis. And I, the analogy really is like potholes. It's really from wear and tear. And you get these little divots. They're you know, blind pouches in your colon. They don't go through. It's just contained inside. And when it gets inflamed or infected, then you get intense, severe pain and usually a fever like what you had. And that's diverticulitis. It's like appendicitis, but in an unpredictable location. Mm -hmm. um, and we can usually treat it with antibiotics, but you do have to diagnose it. Otherwise, it becomes what you said complicated yeah. by, for example, a perforation, which is a tear in the colon, which is an emergency surgery, which it sounds like exactly happened to you. Yep. Or sometimes people get abscesses and they need to be drained. Um, but yeah, surgery in a bag is like the most extreme version. So that must have been awful. Well, I'm yeah, glad they avoided the colostomy bag. Yeah. Uh, but he told me going in, he was like, I uh, will tell you that there's a chance that we're not going to be able to make this nice in there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, but they were, thank God. So it took. Did, did you, um, two questions about that experience for you. One, did you actually like it when the doctor approached it like that? Like when he said, okay, let me get the worst case scenario out. It's not cancer. And then he said it was, did you actually like that? Were you kind of like, don't be a smart ass? How, how was your response oh, no, to I that? Liked it. I, okay. I liked it for sure. Uh, at that point, I just, uh, the fact that he sounded so unconcerned about it made me less concerned about it. He was like, right. we're going to do it. It's gonna, you're going to be fine. And, uh, you know, and he was very like, uh, he's a cool dude. I liked him. One of the first things he said, he said, I'm one of the best in the country at this surgery. <laughs> nice confidence and yeah and i googled it though i was like let's see yeah um, he, he's uh he was he was great so well, let me ask you from the experience prior to that where you were like um misdiagnosed has that affected your ability to like put faith in doctors or in, in the outpatient doctor world has that affected it uh no i mean no, it, it hasn't. I mean, it's a bummer. I probably could have avoided, uh, you know, major surgery, maybe, or maybe it, I would have had to have it anyways. You know, I, I don't know. Right. Maybe it was already bad back then. I, I don't really know. Uh, but for the most part, I've, I've had good experiences with doctors. I haven't had that many bad experiences. So, uh, no, I mean, faith shaken, but not completely distinguished. <laughs> well, it sounds like you have a good attitude because you can easily you know, twist that into something really bad. And, and we have patients who, if I say you don't have cancer, I think you have this, that doesn't reassure them. They actually get pissed off because they're like, what I have is serious. And you using that like comparison right. makes me feel unheard, you know? So it really is, this is like the art of medicine is developing rapport and understanding right. which patients can handle. Cause that, the way he phrased it to you is, is sort of a joke. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you need emergency surgery and you almost had a bag right. outside your colon. Like, that's it, it been, terrifying. It, it could have been funnier though. He could have been like, I have like good news and bad news. And he could be like, you have a perforated diverticulitis and you'd be like, what's the good news? And he'd be like, I just saved a bundle of money at Geico <laughs> and like fucking walked out. Right. He, he could have done, he could have done more with it. And that's, that's a bit hacky, but he could have done more is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, right. Obviously he, he's a doctor for a reason, but uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, he knew, he knew I was a comedian. He knew my history a little bit. Uh, so I think he felt like he could kind of joke around with it. That's good. So, so again, my impression is comedians are up there on a stage, like pouring their heart out about their sex life and their family life and their work life and all this stuff. So again, I think of it as like really having therapy sessions, you know? So, so again, for me, that translates into, I think a lot of comedians probably have a lot of depression, anxiety, possible higher rates of suicide. Do you, is this something that you've witnessed in your life um, from your peers or yourself even, or is there, can you speak to that at all? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've lost, I've lost some friends to suicide uh, that were comedians. Uh, and we, I mean, we are wired a little bit differently than the rest <laughs> of the world. You know, it's, uh, I, I always explain it as uh, having, uh, you know, a, a very narcissistic nature of being like, I want validation from strangers. Uh, but also crippling insecurity. So it's the, it's the combination of those like two worlds. And, uh, you know, oftentimes that stage, that rush that you get from being on the stage and performing and killing uh, or, or, or whatever the comedian does, uh, 
you know, you get that feedback response and it's so powerful and it's exhilarating and your adrenaline's rushing. And then, uh, you know, you get home to like an empty apartment and your cat and you're like, uh, you know, I can't, uh, I can't maintain that rush the right. whole time. And so, I mean, I think that's why a lot of comedians have uh, problems with substance abuse, you know, drugs and alcohol. It's because you're, you're just trying to recreate that, those good feelings that you get from performing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, comedy can be a dark profession. Um, yeah, luckily for me, I, I'm pretty stable these days, but, you know, some days are better than others for sure. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like comedians are less likely or, or more likely than the general population to seek out help if they do have a problem like that? I would say way less likely. Um, Why is that, you think? Is this like they would feel like they yeah. should be dealing with it? They don't want people to know? What, what, what's the reason? Yeah, I think there, there might be a degree of shame in it. You know? Also, I think there's this weird uh, idea that if I get better, I'm not going to be funny anymore. Right. You know, I, oh, yeah. Yeah, right. if, I, if I'm not pulling from this, uh, this dark place, you know, let's say I go get the right medication, I go see a therapist and everything's hunky-dory, am I going to be able to turn this, this sad stuff and this, this other, uh, you know, these other thoughts into art, you know? Yeah, you hear that a lot about musicians. You know, I think I read that about Sting, like he thought he needed the drama, like the heartache and the drugs and stuff to, to create. And, you know, I don't, I hope that's not true, but because uh, youth, cause, yeah, because youth is part of that too. Um, but uh, I also would guess that a lot of um, comedians, just like musicians, probably don't have great healthcare right. coverage. You know what I mean? Like, it's just part of being young and being in a really unsupported field of work, I think. Right. I think that's very true. And I think it, you know, honestly, I think it keeps comedians hanging on to their day jobs a little longer than they might want to, uh, because they might yeah. have a little bit of uh, of benefits there. So yeah, yeah, right, right. So, uh, you know, right now the the whole world of comedy is is uh, I'm sure trying to find different venues of of getting the material out there. What what are you doing now? What do you? How are you trying to work around this right now? Well, I've been doing a, a weekly Zoom show on Friday nights today, 30 PM. And, uh, it's, uh, with Keith Lowell Jensen, it's called the three way. And, uh, me and Keith do some time up front and then we have a comedian friend do some time. And then we do like a Q and a, it usually lasts about 45 minutes. Uh, so that's been cool. I've been doing a lot of zoom comedy shows and I got to tell you, it's weird. It's not, uh, <laughs> it is not the same. Do you uh, sit there with like an automated like laugh track just to like keep you going? <laughs> No, we, we've been unmuting like a handful of mics. So there is like some feedback. You get some laughter. Um, but also like you hear some kid's toddler like screaming at him like, dad, pay attention to me. Uh, <laughs> so, so, I mean, it comes with a whole bunch of other like weird stuff. Um, but I wouldn't say it's stand up. It's comedy to a webcam. And uh, I never thought I'd use my webcam in that way, to be honest. Um, <laughs> less you, than how I used to use my webcam. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's one of those things where it's like this is what we're doing for now. I don't. It, it's it's fun enough. Yeah, for yeah, another yeah. yeah another month probably. Uh, yeah, you know at least yeah. So there's the weekly Zoom or yeah every Friday eight thirty. By the way, Keith Lowell Jensen's really funny too. So that must be a super fun show to catch. 
Um, yeah. How do people find it? Um, follow me on Facebook or Twitter. I'm at hipsterocracy on Twitter and I post about it every week and it's a pay what you can, but anybody can come and uh, you know, oh, that's but, really you know, cool. Make, a, make some ends because I mean, I had three months of gigs canceled. So yeah, uh, that took a huge chunk of my promised income away from me. Um, but Trump's $1,200 check isn't seeming to cover, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, so, so we are taking donations, but uh, it is pay what you can. We're not trying to fleece anybody, but if you got some extra shekels, send them our way. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. And so that's at hipsterocracy. And what about some of your, you have some albums that people could listen to online, right? Yeah, I got two albums. Um, my first one was Tangled Up in Plaid. Thanks for the kind words. I'm proud of that one. That was my yeah. first album. It came out in 2014. And then uh, I have one called Bombing with the Devil that came out in 2018. And uh, they're both available on Spotify and I, Apple Music and anywhere you can listen to stuff. And uh, Bombing with the Devil is a video special that uh, you can also watch on Vimeo. If you just type in Vimeo, Johnny Taylor Comedy, it'll come right up. I've cool. seen them. I've heard them. They're really funny. Um, dude, you're, you're a really funny comedian and, uh, I'm looking forward to catching some of these Friday night zooms, um, having something to look forward to on my Friday nights. Yeah. Cool, man. Come on in. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you, no, Thank no, you so don't, much. don't invite Lizzie. She's the one that's you know going to have her, her mic's going to be on the whole time. It's going to be like her and her boyfriend talking in the background. She'll go to the bathroom and like, you'll hear her like farting and shitting and it'll be awful. She, that's her. Yeah. Today I did take my brother into the bathroom while we FaceTimed and I told him I was doing it. I was like, just look, everything was good. It was super awkward for everyone. I was like, <laughs> I thought it was funny. He really hated every second of it. I could it. imagine. I could, so did my boyfriend. So did my boyfriend. <laughs> hey, Johnny, thank you so much, man. Uh, look forward to hearing your uh, internet stuff and watching you live again sometime in the near future. And uh, thanks so much. I appreciate what you guys are doing. Like you guys are the real heroes. Thanks for thanks for everything. Thank right, you. But don't undersell what you've done in your accomplishments. Don't yeah, yeah. Undersell what you what you who you are. Albatros. Yeah, yeah. I'm a great person. Just an unnecessary doctor. Um, <laughs> that's our that's our, that is that's our soundbite for the end. <laughs> the blooper. <laughs> the opinions on this podcast are broadcasted for educational and informational purposes only, and do not represent the opinions of our employers. These opinions are not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific healthcare and or medical needs or concerns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.